Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We're podcasting a Bible study for those who cannot be with us on Wednesday nights at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Some also, some even in the Omaha area where we are located at 3606 North 108th Street. But also we know people are listening in other parts of the country and literally around the world. And so we know people want to be in God's word. They want to study more. They want to learn more. They want to grow in their faith because faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So we're thankful to be able to have the opportunity and the means and the ability to be able to teach God's word on such a widespread basis all over the world, wherever the internet is available and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful that you're there and we're thankful that we can be here with you as we get into God's word together. Now we encourage you, if you're in the Omaha area, to come and be with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Again, our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. Bible classes begin on Sunday mornings at 9.30, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evenings, 6 o'clock, we come back together for another period of worship and Bible study. And on Wednesday evenings, middle of the week, good time to get our spiritual batteries recharged to take on the rest of the week. Wednesday evenings, 6.30, midweek Bible classes. You're welcome to any and all of these services. Now, we encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. You may help somebody in your life, maybe a work associate, a neighbor, somebody you know, a friend, somebody, you may help somebody get into God's word, grow in their faith, and ultimately make that decision to be baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins, become a Christian, and get to heaven. What a great blessing for them, but also a great blessing for you. Now tell everybody also to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It is free. It always will be free. And when they do that, they will automatically receive to their smart device, whether that's their phone or computer or whatever they choose, they will automatically receive a Wednesday night Bible class, a Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, a Monday through Friday daily radio program called Search the Scriptures, and a seven-day-a-week short Bible class every single day, seven days a week, only about 13 or 14 minutes long. We call that today's Bible class. All of that will automatically go to their smart device, and it will always be free. So tell everybody you can, churchofchrist.com. We're going to get back into our study from Jude. We have worked our way through a great number of the New Testament letters from Paul, also the the uh, from from uh, Peter and John, and now we're looking at Jude, also James. We did James. That was a really great study just in and of itself. And in Jude, we understand that Jude was probably a biological brother of, of James, and therefore, as far as physical is concerned, through their mother Mary, a biological brother of Jesus. Now, again, Joseph not being the biological father of Jesus, God through the Holy Spirit bringing Jesus into Mary's womb, but through Mary, his physical mother, James and Jude, we understand probably these two were brothers, biological brothers of Jesus. Now in Jude, what we have been emphasizing and learning is that Jude wrote this particular letter largely 
to address false teachings and false teachers as far as the gospel of Christ is concerned. And he's pretty pointed in this particular text. We're going to look at some parallel passages, if you would, that teach against false teaching or or teach against teaching error when it comes to God's word, when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to Christianity. I'm afraid a whole lot of people have a pretty careless attitude about uh, staying true to God's word. They think they have the ability to change it. They think, well, you know, I'll accept this much. I won't accept this much. And uh, they'll think we've got to change it with the times. And, and all of that is condemned in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, the Apostle John, as he was writing that incredible treatise on what the church was going through and what it was going to go through at the hands, I believe, at the hands of the the Roman government. And certainly it would have some dual applications as well to the future. But he says in, in verses 18 and 19, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so here we read almost the closing verses of the New Testament. Don't mess with God's word. It's God's word. It's not your word. You don't have the authority to change it in any way, not to add anything to it, not to take anything away from it. You accept it as authoritative being God's word. Now, that text in itself does away with any idea that I can somehow shape God's word into what I want it to be, what I think it should be. And we've emphasized in our teachings over many years now, when you start to change God's word in any way. It's no longer God's word. It's your word. Now, a whole lot of people would protest and say, oh, no, no, no. It's God's word still. I just, you know, I'm just trying to bring it up to relevance. I'm trying to make it fit the times. You know, we update it. So, no, no, you've changed God's word, and now it's your word. It's not God's word. We'll look at some passages of Scripture that, that talk about that as well in just a moment. I want us to pick up with verse 5 in Jude, and again, only one short chapter in this particular letter. And so Jude writes, beginning with verse 5, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Interesting. Destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Huh. Interesting again. So he, he quickly is using at least three illustrations here because the next one is Sodom and Gomorrah. And so he says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So he uses three real-life examples that we can read about in the Scriptures 
First, he talks about those who had been the Israelites whom God, through Moses, led out of Egyptian bondage. But then he said once they got into the wilderness and they got away from their homes back in Egypt, even though they had been praying to God for deliverance, because basically the Pharaoh in charge at that time had made them slaves, God leads them out. But once they got into the wilderness, their faith on the part of many of the Israelites, it waned, it weakened. And so God caused the adult generations from 20 years old and, and, and up to die out in the wilderness. And that was basically the purpose of that 40 years wandering in the wilderness. I call it, I think more aptly, piddling in the wilderness. Now, then the, then the younger, the youthful generations, they grew up to become, during that time, to become the adults and stronger faith, more dedicated faith, and God led them into the promised land. But then he talks about the angels who did not keep their proper domain, and that's interesting. And I think we're talking about here, Revelation chapter 12, where it portrays for us, and I believe we're probably talking about a period before God created mankind, but I'm speculating on that. But anyway, it's talk, we're talking about in the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm, where it depicts the devil or, or Satan, and it describes him very directly as such, uh, referring to him as a dragon and also as Satan and the devil. He leads a group of angels in rebellion against God. And it talks about there's war in heaven. But the devil and his angels lost badly, trying to usurp God's throne, and they were cast out of heaven. And so I think that's probably what we're talking about here, or what, how, what we're to understand, rather, in verse 6, when he uses the angels who did not keep their, do, their proper domain. And, and so God says, uh, or God's word says here, he has reserved an everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of of the great day. And I believe the judgment of the great day is referring to the final day of judgment when our Lord comes again to judge all mankind. And then Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, how many people do not know something about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? But it's interesting, and it's interesting to me, to me also as to how parallel the depiction in Scripture of Sodom and Gomorrah is as to their as to their sexual immorality, blatant, widespread, common sexual immorality, how, how parallel that is to what we're seeing in our nation right now. So Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner, having given themselves over to sexual, given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, these three examples are illustrations of Jude's more basic message to condemn, that, that is condemning false teaching, changing God's word, not believing God's word. So he talks about the, the punishment, God's judgment upon those Israelites in the wilderness, whose faith weakened, maybe in some cases even mostly turned away from God, and how he 
allowed them to die in the wilderness, not, not, did not allow them to enter the promised land that he had prophesied to give to them going all the way back to their forefather Abraham hundreds and hundreds of years before. And then also the angels who they rebelled and God cast them out and reserved them in everlasting chains of under darkness until the final day of judgment. And then Sodom and Gomorrah, whose immorality and real focus upon sexual immorality, and obviously immorality of any kind is a divergence away from faithfulness and dedication to God. And so their immorality, their sexual immorality is, is, is specifically mentioned here, and going after strange flesh, and, and those cities were destroyed by God in judgment. They were destroyed. Well, then he goes on in verse 8, and he says, likewise. Now, likewise what? Likewise to what? Likewise to God's punishment, judgment brought upon those unfaithful Israelites in the wilderness, those angels who did not keep their proper domain, rebelled against God, Likewise, to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, who were so wicked that God destroyed, utterly destroyed their city and everyone therein. Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Now we get a little bit of an insight into the spiritual world there, the world of angels and, and of course, God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and the devil. And so there was some kind of dispute apparently over the body of Moses when God brought Moses' life to an end and, and buried him in a, some particular place. He did not reveal the place to, to anybody, and so, but there was something of a dispute there in the spiritual realm over the body of Moses. And Michael, the archangel, simply tells the devil, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they, don't, they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And all of these were pointed sinners in the scriptures. Cain murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous and angry. Balaam, he tried to prophesy against God or against Israel, God's people, for money. And Korah, well, he tried to take over Moses' place and as the leader of, of Israel, or at least become one of the leaders of Israel. So all of these were rebelling against God's will, going against God's will, and God brought judgment upon each one of them in very direct and final ways, I think we can understand. So why is Jude referring to these examples? What's the application in his particular short letter to the Christians of his day? He's talking about, you better be careful. You better toe the line when it comes to 
believing and respecting and living by, even revering God's word. Don't start changing it. And then he goes into a lengthy discourse, beginning with verse 12. Now, we've read down through verse 11. He goes into a lengthy discourse, beginning in verse 12, about false teachers and false teachings. Let me tell you, and I say this directly, the denominational world, those who call themselves Christians, and I can say that basically applying to all churches who call themselves Christians, there is so much carelessness, so much taking authority upon themselves to change God's word to teach what they want it to say, that they could literally be putting themselves in the danger of judgment, according to the illustrations Jude is using here. Those unfaithful Israelites in the wilderness, those angels who rebelled against God's authority in heaven, Sodom and Gomorrah who turned away to incredible sexual immorality, those who think they can change God's word, not stay true to God's word, think they're smart enough to correct it, to reject part of it, to add to it. These illustrations given by Jude are given for a reason here. We're talking about, I think we're to understand eternal condemnation for each of these that Jude has pulled from God's Old Testament scriptures and New Testament scriptures. So we need to be careful to respect God's word totally. It is God's word. I keep referring in teaching along these lines to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And more literally, that means all scripture is God-breathed, the illustration being it is God's very word, as though the words were flowing across his lips. So we can have confidence in it. We can trust it. We can believe it without reservation. In 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, Peter wrote along this line, there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false prophets among you. He's writing this to Christians. He's writing this to the Lord's church. He said, there were false prophets among the people, and there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying themselves, or rather even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, now there's a reference again back to what Jude's talking about, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, 
did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood and the world of the ungodly. And notice Genesis chapter 6 says that basically every human being besides Noah and his family were found so wicked that the thoughts and intents of their heart was only evil continually. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, and Lot lived in Sodom, but Lot was found righteous before, before God. And then in verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, and God's word is authoritative. They're presumptuous, self-willed, They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness. Well, both of these and there's a great deal of parallelism here, are discourses condemning, warning against, but also condemning false teaching and the false teachers who put forth the false teachings. We're talking about incredible condemnation, incredible judgment, eternal condemnation in hell for those who practice such. When we look at Galatians chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, Paul was also very direct in his condemnation of false teachers and false teachings. He's writing to the churches of Galatia, the Lord's church, and there were a number of congregations in that particular Roman province of Galatia. And so he says, beginning with verse 6 in Galatians chapter 1, I marvel that you, are so, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. In other words, somebody had come in and corrupted in the way they were teaching it, the gospel of Christ. They changed it. And then quickly, Paul says, which is not another. And that emphasizes the point I made earlier. When you start changing God's word, it's not God's word anymore. It's your word. You change the teachings of the gospel of Christ, that's not the gospel of Christ anymore. That's your gospel, and you have no authority to do so, and your teaching is not authoritative. So Paul goes on and he says, there are some who trouble you and want to pervert or twist or corrupt the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on in the next few verses, very pointed, very straightforward. He says, but even if we, the apostles, or those working with, with, with Paul, or an angel from heaven. Now, that's a hypothetical. Even if an angel came from heaven and preached any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, now that makes it more practical, brings it down to what we can relate to more, if any human being preaches any other gospel to you than that what uh, than than what we than what you have received let him be accursed you see there's no room 
for false teaching. There's no room for somebody coming along and saying, well, let me, let me show you how we really ought to understand this or how this is out of date or this one doesn't apply or, you know, this, this, this is something we need to understand doesn't apply to us anymore. God's word is God's word. We don't have the authority. We don't have the knowledge to change it in any way. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 10, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. Now, what's he talking about? God's law. We know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. God's law, God's word. It was written not not just for the righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners. Then he goes through a long list, and he concludes that list by saying, any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine or true doctrine is what he's talking about. And what's he talking about? According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, Paul says. Paul was teaching, and he was dedicated to be teaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the true doctrinal teachings of God's word. When he was in Rome in prison for the second time, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, he is charging Timothy to stay true to the gospel, to the God's word, to the true doctrine. He, he, we begin reading with verse 1 in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you, therefore, he's, he's writing this to Timothy, who was a faithful kind of secondhand man for Paul, uh, kind of a, a right-hand man, if you want to think of it that way. He was very close to Paul. Paul mentored him greatly, and Timothy became, I think, very great and influential gospel preacher. But now Paul's in prison. Timothy's still on the outside, and he's telling Timothy, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, (laughs) God's word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's easy, when it's not easy. When it's readily accepted, when it's not readily accepted. When it's popular, when it's not popular. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why this great emphasis to Timothy to preach the word straightforwardly, truly? Verse 3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, true teaching, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will find somebody to scratch their ears for them to teach them something that will make them feel comfortable in an ungodly, a sinful, a disobedient, an unfaithful lifestyle that they have taken up. They'll find teachers to teach them what they want to hear, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Paul writes, we are in that day right now. And I'm not talking about just all over the world. I'm not talking about just foreign countries. I'm talking about right now in our country as well. We are in that day. 
We need to open our eyes. We need to get back into God's Word and pay attention to what it really says. And if that means it contradicts something that we have been believing even most of our lives, then we need to chuck or set aside what we've been believing that disagrees with what God's Word actually says. And we need to follow the, the teachings of God's Word. If that means we need to change churches, then that's what it means. We need to change churches so we can be in the church that follows God's Word exactly and faithfully and consistently. We need to pay attention to God's Word. False teaching will not only lead us astray in belief, but false teaching can ultimately lead us to eternal condemnation in hell. Now, some people might think that's really harsh. I'm simply basically laying out what we have been reading in the Scriptures here. God wants us to stay true to his word because it is his word, and he knows a whole lot better than we do. We'll move on, pick up with verse, with verse uh, 12 next time. Let's pray. Father, help us to recognize, help people everywhere to recognize the importance of respecting your word as your word and to make that the standard for their lives. Help us to be the followers you want us to be, the Christians you want us to be. Help us to be the church you want us to be, Father. Please, we pray. Please be merciful and gracious with us. And Father, please, we pray, forgive us and be patient with us and help us along these lines. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.